0: All right, folks. Well, welcome to the the first ever podcast between myself, Brian Stan, and, and the Thug Jitsu Master himself, Eve's Edwards. Eve's, welcome to the show that we actually have no name for yet.
1: <laughs> no, we don't have a name yet. But um, I say, I say, like we said before, we we throw it out to to everybody in the Thug Jitsu Nation and all the Brian Stan fans, and and get them to to come up with a name for it for us.
0: I'll tell you, you just said two. Complete opposite groups, I'm suspecting, right? The Thug Jitsu Nation and then the Brian Stan fans. I I guarantee you people, for whoever's listening to our first podcast, it may just be my mom because I know she will listen. Um, So, so Mom, (laughs) if you could help us out with a name based on those two uh, fan clubs, please uh, give us some help. But, you know, Eves, I think it's important for people to know how this even came about. And, and, and what got us talking. And so, you know, I know for, for me several months ago, uh, I was invited to do the Joe Rogan podcast. He reached out to me out of nowhere and said, you know, I really think you should do a podcast. I think you'll enjoy the medium. And I responded said, Joe, you know, I really appreciate that advice. You know, maybe I'll do yours to see what it's all about. I I hadn't done one before. And so I went out and did it. It was three hours long and I did, I enjoyed it a lot, but I knew that I'm not I'm not entertaining and certainly not funny enough to carry a whole show myself. So I'm thinking, who, who possibly could help me out here? And uh, out of nowhere, Cole Miller contacts me saying, Hey, Eves Edwards is getting an audition with Fox. Would you be interested at all in, in helping him out and talking to him about what he needs to do to prepare for that show? And instantly the light bulbs came on because for, for me personally, when I first started this sport, And, Eves, I told you this the first time we met. You were one of the guys that I used to buy all the DVDs with all your fights that I used to mimic. I used to watch your combinations and what you did and try and teach myself because I had no coaches at the time. I used to watch your fights back when you fought Hermes Franca and Josh Thompson. So it was the perfect opportunity for me, at least.
1: Man, you're talking about the fights from my heyday. If, if if any particular part of my career was the heyday. But, um yeah, it, it similarly started for me. It wasn't Joe Rogan that, that recommended that I start a podcast, but it was some of the guys at ATT. And um, I talked to those guys and John Hartnett and a couple of the other guys. John Hartnett used to run Ryan Bennett's podcast when Ryan Bennett first started this stuff. And um, when Ryan passed on, jo- Johnny got away from it. and And over time... He He thought that I would do I would be good behind the mic on a podcast, and I got in touch with Cole for some random reason just because Cole and I are friends and told him about my audition. He recommended he asked me if I wanted him to talk to you, pass the word on to you, And he did. And then I got a text from him that night saying, "Yeah, Brian's excited. He'd love to help you and 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 also he wants to talk to you about maybe doing a podcast together. And that's pretty much where it started. and then you know it's we went out to, i got out to la and 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 we had some talks and man it just felt like it was a right fit it felt like a good fit it felt like two guys with similar views but still different views i don't know it's kind it's it's a dichotomy at least um on this end of the microphone and on your end and yeah. between our personalities i think
0: in a totally different way on how we got to where we are today, totally different upbringing background. And, you know, one of the big details I love the fact that you skipped it was the fact that you, you smashed your audition. Um, so I've been a part of of several auditions and what they'll do for folks listening at home is they will fly you out and, and you'll get maybe one phone call from some folks at the UFC. Hey, this is what you're going to do. This is to prepare this is what we're expecting. Calls if you have any more questions. And maybe if you are if you have some initiative and you reach out, they'll give you a little bit more coaching. Otherwise, you just show up. And then you walk into Fox Studios and you got 9,000 coaches there. right? You'll have three or four different producers who are extremely experienced. And Eve is sitting in his suit and he is sweating. I see him outside the hotel in the morning before we even get picked up. He's like, bro, I'm sweating. I'm more nervous right now for this than I am for a fight. And, you know, we had done three phone calls, I think. You know, in terms of you you were over-prepared for the audition, but I've been a part of a lot. Yours was by far the best audition I've ever been a part of. In fact, um, for those at home, the producer after the audition immediately said in my ear, that could have been a live show. Easily, that's how good Eves Edwards was. So I'm excited for when you make your, your real debut on Fox 1. You, you are going to kill him. You're talking about 80-plus fights experience and you're articulate. Um, it, it, it's just, it's a totally different perspective how you arrive to your conclusions because there's nothing in that octagon or in a mixed martial arts fight that you haven't seen.
1: You know, it's it's one of those things, the The audition was, was it's still nerve-wracking to me, um, even though it's been a week or two weeks now, and I'm still nervous when I think about it. I watch, I watch the audition tape trying to pick up things and, and trying to do better at things uh, while I'm here at home. I watch myself watching you it's funny because i was watching you during the whole audition i only looked at karen pretty much when i spoke to her but i was watching you the whole time because i was like what's brian doing i need to be doing those things because he knows what he's doing and i need to mimic, mimic, mimic and imitate him as much as possible so it's i guess it's that's uh that's your tuition for 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 going to the thug jitsu online
0: school of, <laughs> yeah. of mma so- well, that's awfully nice of you to say it. I think you were looking at me because my head's so big you couldn't see around it to even see Karen. That's that's typically the excuse Dom and a will use. I mean, we did that same show. We worked all day together, and I think Dom took a break for maybe two minutes to, of making fun of how big my head is. I mean, it's it's nonstop going back and forth between the two of us, But that's what makes it fun. And that's that's what you're going to enjoy. but when when you get these fighters and analysts together in that studio, if it looks like we're having fun on TV, it's because we are. and And it's too bad that they they won't film some of the in-between segments, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and that there there is censorship because some of the in-between segments when we're being really raw is far more entertaining,
1: I, I think so, man. and And all those people, all the people back there, um, Susie and and, and Lappy and, and Steven and Kelly I had so much fun with those guys man they they tried to make me as comfortable as I possibly could be and I think I was because of because of all the love they were showing and all the help they were giving. they it was it was pretty it was pretty easy when I look back at it I'm still nervous because of the whole camera thing and the whole being the focus of attention and not necessarily being in my comfort zone but I found I came to find that you know talking about fights is my comfort zone That's 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 the only thing that's different is that I'm not throwing the punches myself. I'm just talking about somebody else doing it. So those guys helped make it make it really relaxing and and the environment was fun, man. That was a whole lot of fun. i I, I want to stay excited about it because I don't know there's 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 not been many other things that I've been this excited about besides actually getting in the cage and getting a throw down.
0: I'm telling you, man, it's the greatest scam in the world, I will do it. I will do it for as long as they allow me. And as guys continue to transition like yourself, you know, pretty soon I'll probably be out of a job and looking for something else to do, but I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. Um, And, and, you know, the other thing too, is you got to love the, you got to love the process. If you don't love the process, in my experience, you're not going to be successful. You got to love watching the tape, breaking down the tape, talking to the coaches and the fighters to see. How they arrived at their game plans. How they arrived to grow from the fighter they are now. I mean, I'm getting ready to call this weekend's card, headlined by Ricardo Lamas and Chad Mendez. And I mean, just yesterday I was watching Ricardo Lamas versus Cub Swanson. You know, which which is a long time ago. People forget that Lamas actually beat Cub Swanson. Yeah. When you watch that fight, you still see a guy in Ricardo Lamas who's very, very good. And a win over Cub Swanson means something, but you can see so much growth in both fighters since then. And that was a fight where, man, Llamas, he had just taken Cub Swanson down, and Joe Rogan was just finishing saying how good Cub Swanson is on the ground, how he has an advantage there. And then all of a sudden you could see where Cub gets a little too comfortable down there, and all of a sudden Llamas goes from a back position and sneaks in the head and arm choke and improves uh, everybody wrong and taps Cub Swanson out and just catches him sleeping, which we all know how often that can happen. Just when you get a little too confident in that octagon, man boom you get caught but amazing when you watch back five or six fights on a guy and then slowly get towards his latest fight the growth and to talk to them about how they got there which gyms they went to which coaches were responsible that is my favorite part of the job
1: i like that too but i like i like how how lamas Almost came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? There's not, there's not a big MMA scene. There's not a, not a team like American Top Team or Jacksons or AKA in the Chicago area. And um, for Lamas to come to come out of that area and 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 to become one of the best guys in the world at featherweight, I mean, and he's not, he's not a Chad Mendez caliber wrestler. You know, he's 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 a different type of wrestler. He's, I think, he's a little more creative with the other aspects of MMA. Than, than Mendez is and but what 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 that does I think is it, is it brings him to the same level as a Chad Mendez when you look at this fi- for me anyway looking at this fight hearing about it and just just off the top of my head I'm like man Mendez is going to destroy him and then I started thinking about who Ricardo Lamas is and and, and not just putting the wrestling into the equation adding the whole of, of what MMA is to the equation and that completely changes the game. And I think Chad, um, not Chad, but Ricardo is is a lot more creative in the MMA aspects of the fight, and I think that's gonna even out the wrestling differences between them. And and that fight, man, that kind of makes my mouth water. I'm looking forward to that one too.
0: I am too. You know, I, I agree with you. I think that if Lamas isn't creative, if he doesn't, uh, if he if he doesn't be unpredictable out there, yeah. if he's not unpredictable out there, that could be a problem for him with Chad Mendes. The thing about
1: Chad Mendez, ever since Bang Ludwig came to Team Alpha Male, I know he's not with them anymore, but when he started helping those guys out with their striking, a lot of those guys showed a lot of improvement, man. Um and I think I think Ricardo is going to have to be dynamic to cancel out that wrestling disparity between those two and and to make this MMA fight a lot more uh, a lot more in his favor than 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 it would be if you just look at their wrestling credentials. But at the same time, I mean, that's who Ricardo Lamas is, you know. He's he's a dynamic guy. The first fight I saw him fight was when my, I was cornering Mike Brown when Mike Brown fought uh, 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 Leonard Garcia down in Corpus Christi. And uh, I think he fought Bart Palaszewski. And he was like throwing head kicks from, from a rear body lock position. You know what I mean? He's the kind of guy to do things like that. And I think that's the kind of things he's going to need for this fight to be for him to have his hand raised at the end of the night come Saturday yeah.
0: night. Yeah, he's an incredible athlete. I mean, he was now he was a division three All American wrestler. Obviously, we know Chad Mendez was Division I Pac 12, had a very storied wrestling career. Um, the interesting thing for me will be is, is now I am looking forward to asking Chad Mendez <laughs> this personally. I want to ask him because I have heard someone, I've heard people tell me Chad never trains jujitsu at alpha male. And I have a hard time believing that. And I will tell you, if Chad chooses to take this to the ground, Lamas is good on the mat. You know, when you re-watch a fight with Cub Swanson, you rewatch some of his other fights, he's very good down there. And I'll tell you what, he takes, if he gets on top, he'll take tremendous risk when it comes to his ground and pound. He unloads on you. Now, not to say he's going to have a lot of success getting on top of Chad, yeah. but it'll be interesting. If those accusations are correct and Chad doesn't train much jujitsu and he decides to take this to the mat, that is an area where maybe Lamas can exploit. But again, you know, to be determined, because I, I plan on talking to Chad Mendez tomorrow and just outright asking that, Hey, look, I've talked to people from inside your camp, not fighters, but people who are associated with, and they've told me, Hey, Chad never trains his Jitsu. Is that true? I got to imagine Chad's going to tell me no, but it was an interesting point to be brought up to me. I don't know about
1: wrestlers training jujitsu and it being um, detrimental when it's a wrestler versus say, a strong jujitsu player who can't wrestle but but when 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 you're going up against a guy that can wrestle and the fight is going to be on the mat at some point for a significant amount of time yeah you have to be your jiu-jitsu has to be on point especially with a guy like Lamas. i mean this is a guy that tapped cub swanson you know what yeah. i mean it's, it, he's no joke man and I think wrestling is different. I think some wrestlers can go into a room and give some good black belts a hard time without knowing a whole lot about jujitsu. But when you're going up against another wrestler that understands wrestling, but he has better jujitsu than you have, then I think some of those submissions become more of a threat because they understand how a wrestler moves. Does that yeah. make sense?
0: It makes plenty of sense. And I mean and then there's the unpredictability of the sport, right? And Lamas' <laughs> last fight he rocked bermudez bad with a jab and it was a, it was a it was like a laser he shot out of his left shoulder and then immediately went to a guillotine he's got a very good guillotine as well and sometimes when you're in that octagon you don't know but you end up going right into a guy's move you know guys have moves that they never get to show in the octagon because they're weird unique positions that that people everybody knows in the gym they train oh don't ever go for a head inside single leg against the fence against this guy cuz he'll jump right into a triangle choke yeah. People don't usually get to do those kinds of moves in the octagon. Every once in a while it happens. Though. You get a guy who falls right into your move, and that makes the sport unpredictable. And you never know. As big a favorite as Chad Mendez is, a guy like Lamas, man, anybody can get rocked. And Lamas, you know, rocks a guy, goes to submission. So I think it's a closer fight than the odds makers have it. I think Chad Mendes is like a minus 300 favorite, minus 400 favorite right now. I think it's a closer fight than the odds makers have it.
1: Yeah, that's that's that sounds like a good fight too. If if you're a gambling man, put some money on Lamas. I mean, I think Mendez should be the favorite going in, coming off of his fights with Aldo, coming off um the fact that he's, you know, he's the number one guy in the division. But behind the champion, he's ranked number one. But I mean, if if you're a betting man, putting some money on 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 Ricardo Lamas, I think is. Is a is a prudent choice at this point, you know. The fight is pretty cool, but like you were saying about the the things that you pull off in the gym that you just don't get to see in the octagon because those positions aren't as common in in a, in a fight. You don't see them every day, but when you see them in the octagon, it's like it's like a kid in a candy store, you know. Um, and I think I think an example of that is like Al Quinta and Mitch Clark, you know. And I know Ali Quinta is the, the 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 co-main event on this fight. And um, he's fighting Masvidal, but he got caught by Mitch Clark. I think in one of those type moves where he's on top in side control, um, Mitch is underneath, and he has he has the, the 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 inside arm, the arm that's between his hips and 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 Ayakinta's hips. He uses that to rotate his body and set up a darse from the bottom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think Masvidal for that for that fight with Ayakinta and Masvidal. I think that's another thing for him to watch out for because Masvidal is a guy I've trained with a lot, man. And for a guy that did not wrestle in college, um, he's he's pretty dynamic in his wrestling. He's pretty good. I watch him give a hard time to some Division One wrestlers in the room. He's he's been he's roommates with Colby Covington for probably two years, and those guys were like inseparable, you know. So his wrestling game has really picked up. I think I think that fight it's not going to be this big disparity between Ayakinta's wrestling and Masvidal's wrestling. I think those things are going to be very close to even.
0: Yeah, and it could be key for Masvidal to get this fight to the ground because I, I, Ayakinta, he, he's preferring to strike now. He's starting to really believe in his power. And, you know, the, the one lone hole, and this is very common with guys when they're at that, the point that raging Ayakinta is, is they start to get really good, in the air, you know, their offense, it really develops faster than their defense. And yeah. when you watch Al fight, even in his last fight against Joe Lozon, um, the head movement isn't there. He, he's easily counterpunched. You know, Joe Lozon didn't have the firepower to match him, so it didn't hurt him. Um, and, and not that all necessarily does either, but everybody everybody's chin has a spot on it, right? So yeah. that's what I'm, I'm looking to see. If Al's defense has improved, because I think that's the next step in his evolution and guys at his point, they develop fast. So he could come into this fight against Masvidal and be very hard to hit out of nowhere. But in the fights that I've watched, you know, for my research thus far, that's the one weakness I could see. He's got a lot of power and, and I know, be you know, I know one because I was one, he'll eat a a few to land one at times. And that's not necessarily a recipe for success.
1: Yeah. But I think with Masvidal, he's, He's one of those guys man he came up in the streets fighting basically you know what I mean and he he can take it I've seen him <laughs> here's the thing about George man at American top team when Hector first came down a lot of people tried to avoid Hector I didn't like sparring with Hector because there's no such thing as shadow boxing with Hector Lombard. yeah
0: his, he's legendary yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but and he was he was fighting two weight classes up at the time he was in Bellator. he was 185 pound champion and but when you look in there and you, you look in the cage and Hector's going with somebody, it's either another 85er or Masvidal, <laughs> you know? And, and and George, he's he's that good, man. He's he's always in there and he will mix it. He's mixing it up with Hector Lombard. I'm not talking about like he's on the outside trying to pick him apart. He's doing that sometimes or there's sometimes when he's sitting in the pocket and he's deciding, I'm going to bite down my mouthpiece and I'm going to throw down with you, you know? Um, So I think he can take a shot. I know Ayakinta's got some power. But I think Masvidal can take a shot. And like you said, everybody's chin has a button. But um, I don't know, man. I, I Of course, I'm going to be a
0: lot more biased towards Jorge because certainly he's my boy. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But- and for you fighters listening at home, by the way, when we talk about everybody's chin has a button – if if you are stubborn and you do rounds two weight classes up in sparring and go in the pocket with a guy like Hector Lombard, you'll develop that button much faster. Just so everybody at home knows that. <laughs> While we're saying how tough Mosfidal is for doing that in the gym, that doesn't mean it's a good decision. No,
1: but but he's
0: he's pretty slick. He for a guy that that stands as tall as he does
1: when he fights, he's, he's got good slick. head head movement. He's hard to get to. You know, it's very hard to get to his head um, with 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 punches and kicks and um. He's, I think Ayakinta has to turn this fight into more of a kickboxing match on the feet than a boxing match because yeah. uh, Masvidal can deal with kicks. He's good there, but I think you've got to be busy and, and turn it into a kickboxing match and, and, and try to make or get the kick count higher necessarily than an average MMA fight, uh, more like a kickboxing match than, than, than an MMA fight or a boxing match because when it comes to hands, I think Masvidal is one of the best guys at 55.
0: Really? Yeah, it's a, I that's mean, that's a big coming from you. It's a bit, and and obviously there's a sprinkling of bias there because he's your <laughs> boy, but uh that's a big compliment.
1: Man, the the guy is is pretty amazing, man. Every time we've gone is something new in his game that I'm just like, I hate dealing with this, you know. And then the guys that he has to train with now, I mean, there's guys like Colby Covington, Dustin's there a lot. Him and Robbie. Uh, Will Brooks, you know, he's I, and I know Ayakinta's got the same thing. He's in Long Island, and they put something in the water up there because all the boys that I've ever trained with from Long Island are tough. I haven't trained with Ayakinta, but I trained with Bermudez and Ryan LaFleur and Gregor Gillespie and, and these guys, um, um, Marcio Galval. You know, I trained with these guys, and these guys are really good. But I think um, I think I, Masvidal and his stand-up game and um, with the guys that he has to train with, his whole MMA game, I think I think if he comes to fight, that's the one thing, I, I, the one knock I would put on Masvidal is when he comes sometimes, he just shows up and he's like, yeah, whatever, dog. But if he comes to fight, you're in for a headache. Think of, I think back to his fight with uh, Michael Chiesa. It's, it's one of those situations, you know. Um, I think he took fight. Khabib um, Kabilov a little bit too lightly. But at the same time, you know, that's one of the best guys in the world. I think Masvidal can beat that guy. Of course, he lost that fight. But he lost the decision to, to a guy that was just throwing everybody around. And yeah, Rustam.
0: Rustam Hobbyloff. He's, he's a stud. And, you know, just since you're, you're new to the analyst world, even though you're new to nothing else in MMA, now that you've proclaimed him to have some of the best hands in that division, just get ready for the Twitter know-it-alls. If for some reason he gets outboxed by Aya Kidder, he gets knocked out. Just get ready because they are going to make sure you know about it and tell you how could you think that it's it's almost entertaining. I'll tell you, me and Kenny Florian laugh sometimes when you call a fight, there will literally be people on your social media who live to tweet back to you in quotations every line you said. And if you stumbled on it, if you stuttered it, if you flubbed it, uh, they will they will then immediately tweet it to you. It's like, thank you so much for listening with that much detail to send me all of my mistakes this evening.
1: You know, I've been one of those guys before, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I really have. I've, I've sat, I sat on my couch and listened to somebody say something about a fighter and, and then watch a fight. And when I started practicing for, for my audition, I, I honestly, I, I also called some fights myself and recorded myself calling the fights. And I realized, man, you're sitting there for like six hours that's a lot of time to make a mistake, you know?
0: You know, it's, it's a long time. And I'll tell you that the other, sometimes it's seven, I've done seven and a half was the longest card I ever called. And the hard part is, is the most important fights are at the end. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to say, you've got to do different tricks. Like literally I will stand up and call some of those fights cage side, or I'll do jumping jacks in between fights. And if I'm in Brazil, I'm already covered in sweat. So there's no real tricks to it. Other than, you know, I've got like monster energy cans all around my desk, um, you know, so that I I make sure I stay excited and stay alert during that process. But, you know, you bring up a great point. It is a long, long process when you call those fights. Not that I would ever give it up for anything in the world. It is it is my favorite thing to do. I loved calling football games. Still will probably call football games in the future. Um, But I do like calling fights a little bit better than I like calling live games. I'm feeling that. I, uh,
1: I haven't had that experience yet. And you know, maybe it's one of those things that, that, that I'm going to try to pick your brain about that too, because I'm here to learn, man. That's, that's, that's my, that's my path in life. I, I like learning new things.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's a fun industry to go to, you know, and Hey, speaking of new things, did you see the video? I just watched it before we got on the podcast. Did you see the video of Conor McGregor taking all those belt in Dublin?
1: That made me laugh, and here's the thing. Um, remember after Connor just beat Dennis Siever he jumps out of the cage, he runs over to Jose, he grabs someone and pulls them in front of him to keep them separated. But he's talking a lot of noise, and Jose just stands up and stares at him. You know, um, I think today, from what he did and Jose's reaction, he looked like he's getting to him. You know, he oh, yeah. he looks like Connor's really starting to get to him, and. Unfortunately, I don't want that to happen because I want to see the best Jose Aldo. I don't want to see a guy whose brain's kind of fried, who's a little bit frustrated, and and he's more emotional than he is technical. Um... Because I think that's a good fight, and, and I, I'm really looking forward to it. I honestly, I, of course, I'm rooting for Jose. Um, I do think Conor has a chance. I think there's a lot of people out there that think he does. He doesn't, but after watching, after I started respecting him a lot more after you know after his fight with Dustin. I know it was a, it wasn't a accidental shot, but it was and, and it was behind the head. But that's a part of the game. You know what I mean? He threw the punch intentionally, and. You know, was it was it an accident? Was it luck? Was it the fact that his hands are too big or just or Dustin's head's too big? You know what I mean? He just caught a little piece of it and kind of rocked him. But after that fight, I had to start taking that guy seriously, man. And I think everybody should. Um, but I think he's getting to Jose now, I think, after this world tour.
0: Yeah, I mean, being on the road that much, you know, when you're not – Jose Aldo's not a guy who's built for that sort of thing. He, it's not what he likes doing uh, for McGregor, this is his cup of tea. So, I mean, there's plenty of time now for Aldo to settle down and get into his training. And one thing I will say is I agree. I think it's going to be a very fun fight, and I do think that there is a way uh, McGregor can win that fight. I'll say this. I break down a lot of tape, and and there, there's definitely pound-for-pound pound guys, and, and because of who John Jones has beat and how wide a margin he's beat them by, I put the listing for my top pound-for-pound pound guy, but I believe the most overall all-around skilled fighter on the planet is Jose Aldo. Uh, how fast and how devastating everything he throws! His takedown defense is incredible. Chad Mendes took him down in their second fight, and immediately Aldo used a wizard, complete belly down, and was back on his feet within a split second. It was absolutely incredible how fast and how much fast twitch Aldo has and he's cured problems we we worried about his endurance for a while and that fight he showed look I can go five hard rounds cuz that fight was fast paced
1: yeah but here's the thing about Jose that 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 really really blows my mind he is one of the best strikers in all of MMA but he's supposedly like and I have to say supposedly cuz we haven't really seen it He's supposedly one of the best jujitsu guys in all of MMA. You know what I mean? The only time we've really seen him use his jiu-jitsu very much is is um in the fight with uh, with Mark Hominick. And it wasn't yeah. a lot of jujitsu. It was just inside his guard just throwing, just
0: doing punches, you know. He was exhausted. Yeah, he was exhausted in that fight. You know, when I've called two of Jose Aldo's fights, I've spent a lot of time with the coaches at Nova União. asked them, you know, just how good is this guy on the ground? How good is it? Because I got in a big argument with Dominic Cruz over this when, when he argued that that Jose Aldo doesn't have offensive wrestling. And, and it was pretty funny because this argument spurred after Dominic Cruz went right at Dana White about this matchup. He said, when is Conor McGregor ever going to fight anybody with offensive wrestling? I mean, and, and you know Dom. I mean, Dom, if he's got something, he's going to ask you. He went right at him about it. It was super entertaining to watch Dominic do Dana to say, look, bro, you know, if Aldo wants to take him down, he can try. But it was interesting to hear, you know, Cruz's methodology behind it. But I told him, I said, look, if Jose Aldo wants to fight the fight that way and he wants to take Conor McGregor down, he will. He has absolutely has good effective takedowns. We just don't see it. But in the gym, he trains it all the time. The kids wrestling is very, very good. And I think it would be a very good tactic by Jose Aldo in that fight. Go out there and take him down. When you look at that long stance of Connor McGregor, yeah. you know you can get in on a single rather easily, especially when he's expecting you to strike one paint or fake of a take or right at the end of a combination. I think he gets in on a single pretty well. And it'd be interesting to see him test Connor's bottom game against a world's top game like Jose Aldo possesses. You know, I don't know if Connor's ground game is going to be anywhere near the
1: level of Jose's. You know what I mean? And on top of that, the thing about his takedown defense, his takedown defense sells me on his offense. Because one thing I've learned from being one of those guys that works hard on getting out from the bottom, especially when I first started training with wrestlers, is I got better at getting out from the bottom by learning how to control someone from the top. <laughs> if that makes much sense. So he he knows where you need to be if you want to be successful on takedowns. So he's he's and he's very good at stopping you from getting in those positions. I mean, we're talking about a guy that stopped a lot of Chad Mendez's takedowns. So I think his offense is going to be. It may not be as good as his defense, but I think it's going to be very solid. and And he may surprise us with it. Maybe maybe he wants to do do one of those things, take uh, Connor down and just beat him up as much as he could. Because I think in the jiu-jitsu realm of MMA of an MMA fight, he has a big advantage.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's a you know he's so fast, which he's so explosive. You got to think if he wants. Blow through somebody on a double leg, or get a single and and you know run the pipe, or switch to a double. That he has it in him to do that and do it very effectively, because he's just so fast and so athletic. But again, will he get too emotional? You know what Conor wants to do is get him real emotional so that he doesn't think very well in there. That he lowers Jose Aldo's fight IQ because he gets him so emotional that he wants to hit him so bad, that he leaves himself open. That's part of Conor's game. He's a very smart. Fighter. John Jones is really good at that too. He's done that with some guys as well. Gets them emotionally to a point where he can manipulate them a little bit. Yeah. And, and we've seen that in combat sports for a long time where some of the best fighters, Michael Bisbing, an expert at it. He'll get guys so mad at him. They go out there to take his head off and he sits and moves, sits you with the jab, hits you with his double leg. Very smart fighter.
1: Yeah. But sometimes that's backfired on Bizbean when you ran into a guy like Dan Henderson and those guys.
0: But yeah, I, you know, I mean, look, you, you gotta give and this is me. You know, what I mean me me and Mike had a great feud before we fought, but we've always had tremendous respect for get along great now. You know, Mike is a guy and, and I always always have a little bias towards guys like this. Mike's a guy who did a whole lot without a whole lot. You know, yeah. it wasn't like Mike came to the UFC an amazing athlete, if you had a UFC combine and you had guys doing long jumps, high jumps, 40-yard dashes, uh, pressing different weight in the weight room, Michael Bisping is not going to come out of that a first three-round draft pick. Yet, he was top 10 and, and in the talk for years because he was a lifelong mixed martial artist, very skilled, very technical, and a very smart fighter who could follow game plans when he got in there and I respect that there's been a lot of guys like that you know Florian was a guy like that there's been a lot of fighters Joe Lozon's a guy like that yeah um and I respect that because they have to have a little bit more you know where you some guys um and and I'm not picking on them they're they're not by any means the opposite with some fighters like that but some guys are more physically blessed guys like Chad Mendez, guys John Jones some of these guys are extraordinarily blessed athletes
1: yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And and especially these guys from overseas, you know, a guy like Conor McGregor, a guy like Michael Bisbing, Um They have, of course, there's tons of sports all over the world. But these guys aren't coming into MMA with, with this fight history that's just since they were children, you know. Like a Tyron Woodley that's been wrestling since he was in middle school, <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Those these guys. G-
1: <laughs> the, the, yeah that's 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 the kind of scary thing man um i played basketball in high school and now and, and i was i was in mma for a long time but now these there there are kids that have been wrestling for as long as i've been doing mma and now they're beginning to fight it's crazy
0: man it is it is you'll never catch up to the, the skill level in those areas too it's so hard to when they at their entire life especially if they're already a good athlete yeah um you know, for, for folks, one of the things we want to do in this podcast, because me and Eves maybe call us crazy, but um, we want to talk about a broad range of subjects because that's just what interests us. And, and so when we were planning the podcast, I would say, Eve, we probably, we probably had three different episodes just in our own phone calls that I wish we would have been able to record, <laughs> but we weren't technically savvy enough to record any of them on all the worldly and national topics, both political um uh ideological, you know, and one of the ones that I know that's had you real interested, Eve's that we were talking about just the other day was this new religious freedom act that was passed in Indiana and and now is supposedly or possibly going to get signed in Arkansas as well. I know that was one that really caught your eye recently.
1: Yeah, uh it was it's one of those things I'm not I'm not a fan of religion. Um I I like everybody that knows me knows I have no faith in any religion. I am an atheist, but I don't have like some of my best friends are religious. You know, Uh, Tyron Woodley, one of my he's like my little big brother. You know, Dustin Poirier is a believer in, in in Jesus Christ, and these guys are good guys. But um, and I don't we don't share the same values when it comes to religion, but at the same time we can have these conversations and we can be good friends. But this religious freedom act that they're 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 throwing up in Indiana or that they just passed in Indiana uh, I've been reading up on it, and looking at a lot of the videos on it and and, and the, the governor and and the representatives of the bill, they are they're trying to represent it as it's not something that that it's not a discriminatory bill it's not it, we're not trying to oppose anybody or, or suppress anybody's beliefs or or, or we, we don't want to be discriminated discriminated against but the, the 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 what do you what do you call it i guess some of the the detractors of the bill they would point out that this bill gives businesses and individuals the right to express religious views and I don't know how a business can express a religious view. Um, it's it's one of, if if a building blows up, you know the building doesn't go to heaven or hell. It doesn't have a soul. Nobody nobody expects any of those things to happen. So how does a building or or let's go with uh, with a corporation or even um, the business a DBA. A business on paper if the papers burn the paper doesn't have a soul so those things like I don't understand how how you can pass a bill like this and then not expect for things like that to happen for discrimination to happen against someone especially the LGBT community
0: well you know I don't know exactly how they thought or what they thought when they were passing it they thought it was just gonna slip under the radar I do know that obviously there was some precedent set where I believe it's 20 other states have similar laws like this, and they model them after a, a bill that was passed federally in 1993 um, <laughs> when Bill Clinton was in office. But here's the difference in Indiana, and I so I wonder sometimes if these politicians if they rely on the ignorance a, uh, of the American people. And, you know, I don't mean to insult anybody, but the majority of people read headlines, read articles. And, and they read the headlines that are designed for propaganda, which news site you go to. Yeah. They don't do any of their independent research. The difference here on this specific bill in Indiana was it actually gave you rights in personal disputes to where you could use your religion as a reason to settle those personal disputes. And that is what uh, you know, these watch groups for the LGBT uh, community – to take a look at and say, hey, wait a minute, they can now use this to say, look, I own a sandwich shop, you're a homosexual, or you're a bisexual, or you're transgender, whatever, get out of here, I'm not selling you a sandwich. Which, you know, for me, I don't care what religion you're involved in, you know, I've had friends from every religion under the sun, Yeah, I'm team people first, Yeah. right? So if for some reason my religion tells me that I have to force my views on somebody, That, to me, just is immediately ridiculous. I I don't like when people try to do it to me. Um, And I'm a guy who I I have a really weird stance on religion, but I certainly know where I stand on a law like this. And and they're trying to sell like, hey, look, we modeled it after these other laws that already passed. But, no, you didn't. That one nuance where you allowed for those personal disputes – uh, it's for this law and your religion to have a say in that. That is what allows you to basically discriminate based on your religion. And here in America, when we're dealing with what we're dealing with, that is a ridiculous thing. I mean it makes us hypocrites. If we could pass something like that, then then how does that, how does that bode for, for our stance in the Middle East where we've got groups that because of their religion are killing massive amounts of people from Boko Haram to ISIS to Al-Qaeda to Taliban— basically what they're doing. They're using their religion as a reason to discriminate and forget about not allowing people to buy a sandwich or or, or conduct business in your place of business. Um, I mean, they're they're just killing you or they're throwing acid in your face. Now, it's it's far from the same thing, but it it sends a similar message and we've got to be that beacon out there in the free world in the Western Hemisphere. We've got to be smarter than that
1: yeah I, I completely agree with what you're saying and and the experiences that you've had over in the middle east i can only imagine the 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 depth of 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 the conversation that you can get into about how them using their religion as a as a as a mask to do these other things to do to do horrible violent things i mean it gets back to the point where it's obvious to me anyway, uh, in my eyes, it's obvious that they're picking and choosing what they want to do, what they want, what rules they want to follow. I mean, in, in the Bible itself, right around the parts where it talks about homosexuality, it also talks about, you know, don't let your wife or somebody or your family or your friends bring another religion to you. Um, don't, you know, if, 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 somebody, if somebody comes in, they're, they're Middle Eastern, um, I forget what they call it, but when they have the, the red dot on their head, the, the third eye, you know, from, from a lot of the people from India, um, Hindus and whatnot, and Buddhists, the, the, the third eye, I'm sorry. But when they do that, right, if, if those people come in and they want to buy a sandwich, they are not going to not sell them a sandwich because they're from a different religion. But right there in the Bible, it says that the Bible says thou shall not suffer a witch to live. I understand people here don't want to go killing people just because of that, what it says there. And and I agree with that 100 percent. I'm all on board with that, guys. So make sure you don't go kill anybody. But-
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's important. I mean, we're, we're not to say that this law in Indiana is given, you know, look, it, it, there's a lot of. The law will allow that to happen, yes. and that's what people are trying to prevent. I'm not saying that anybody in Indiana would want to do it, or in Arkansas, which may pass something similar, would want to do those things. Um, you know, my my point on the whole thing, uh, you know, and obviously growing up, and, and, and I went, I, I received my sacraments in the Catholic Church. You know, my family, we didn't go to church very often. We were kind of a Christmas and Easter family. Um, but certainly, and I remember being in school, and I remember using derogatory terms like most people did back yep. towards people who may be homosexuals. Yep. And, and it is just a different day and age. I mean, we're just more educated. Now, now I've had the opportunity to, to meet people. In fact, you know, at the company I run, I've got, I've got several homosexual employees um, and, and they're just, they're phenomenal people. I just don't care uh, about what somebody's preferences for for love. I mean, I've seen so much hate in the world and, and you know, speaking of my time over Middle East, you know, my experience with Al Qaeda, I saw hate in, in its most extreme form. And we still deal with it today that I can't believe we are wasting this much time on, on how people choose to love one another or who they choose to love. I don't care if you're a man, you want to love another man. Good. I hope you are happy. Good for you. You know, I mean, it's just it's one of those things. I mean, we waste so much time in Washington, D.C., and they weigh much of our taxpayer dollars on things that are just stupid. I mean, just leave it alone. And and, and so it gets very frustrating to me where we, you know, every news station you go to is going to have this law on it, and it makes me question when they were passing it and this governor, you know, what he was, because they were starting to get some resistance as this thing was just going through the House of Representatives further. You know, he's reaping what he's sowing a little bit here with all the Of attention he's getting.
1: The thing about it is, when you pass laws like this, these things, they when they become commonplace, when they become something that everybody accepts, you know, then that's just the way it is. It's it's like uh, you can take you can take anything that's different now, you know. Uh, I just watched Selma a few weeks ago. Tyron Woodley, Dean Thomas, and I we went to go see Selma, and it's like. They made all these rules that made it hard for blacks to vote back then. I mean, you couldn't vote unless your grandfather voted. That's a law. If that if that law stayed around, I wouldn't be able to vote. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it, it's ju- it just perpetuates itself on and on and on. And and if it became normal, if it became customary, and everybody just accepted it, then you know what. W- what state does that put us in at this point? And, and it's some of these things exist now. I mean, here in Texas, where I live, I don't know what it's like in Georgia, but here in Texas, you can be fired if 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 your boss finds out that you're gay, you can be fired for any reason. So you can be fired for being gay. You know what I mean? and it's it's like I don't understand to me, it's just evil when when you have when you hide behind something that you, that you want to profess as a belief, and, and 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 you hold it so dear, but you're using it to to subjugate, to hurt, to uh, misinform, and or to to deter or, or or hold down somebody else. You know, it's that's just evil. That's not. Yeah. I don't know. That yeah. that that hurts me inside.
0: Well, look, we're. We're we're the land of the free, right? I mean, this I mean, love who's to love? I mean, good for you. I mean, why get in the way of love? I mean, there's so much there's so much negativity. There's so many big problems in the world, especially today, internationally, all across the world, and problems that we have, uh, whether it's corruption, murder, it's it's possible war, all kinds of crazy things going on, and yet we're wasting our time with with things like this. It's silly, and you know, um, Georgia. Like I said, I, I've got employees who are homosexuals. They're some of the best employees I have. Yeah, I mean the people like they love them. I mean they've got amazing. Actors. They work their, they work their tails off. They're great people to have around at their partners. I mean nobody cares, and it's wonderful to be in that kind of environment. And you know, in, in Atlanta, Atlanta is is a has a huge homosexual population in Atlanta. Yeah. Um. I mean it's probably I think it's it's one of the the high in the southeast actually. Um. You know, but you kind of you you hinted at some. Obviously, with the with the you know with the movie Selma and, and Black voting rights, I know that you had some strong opinions, and, and who could blame you on the uh, SAE chant that took place at University of Oklahoma, and that was obviously a big story a few weeks ago. It's 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 since died down a bit. Um, I mean, you know, when I looked that up and I looked at what the chant actually was, I, I immediately went to one of my buddies, an African American, said, "Yeah, how does how does something like this make you feel?" That is. 2015 and something like that is taking place.
1: Yeah, I mean, we are a hundred nearly, especially in Texas. I think it was sorry, 1919 in Texas that slavery was was abolished and that the slaves were told. There's a thing called Juneteenth here, because the slaves here, the slavery was was against the law, but the slaves here weren't told that. They didn't know that, and of course they couldn't read, so they couldn't see it on the papers. But um. That's, it's, we're, we're a hundred years away from that and this is still going on, you know, this is still, this is like a chant that these guys are chanting in their own private community and they're proud of it, but they're only proud of it in that environment, you know, and, 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 th- and that blows my mind because you can't tell me that this Oklahoma chapter of SAE is the only school in the country where this is happening, you know, there's like, I, I did some, re- just a little bit of research. I mean, you can do this on your phone in 10 seconds. When you look on the internet, you can find the fact that there's like 5,500 chapters of fraternities in the country, you know? Um, you take half of that, you got 2,750, and I'm just being general here. By saying half of those maybe black, half of them maybe white, and I'm sure there's some of the some of the, that going on in black fraternities too, where we're not going to let any white boys in here. But black people have never been in a position of power, you know, and 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 there's no there's really there's no word out there that anybody can say to or about a white man that has the same effect as white people of privilege or just anybody really saying calling calling black people nigger that is especially when you think about the when you especially when you understand the history of the word man it's it's hurtful and shameful and painful at the same time but it's not a surprise i'm not surprised by it because in mma i don't i don't really have a whole lot of of I haven't seen a whole lot of racism. You don't even think about it. I mean, you grab a guy, you train with a guy because he's good. You get along with a guy because he's a good person, you know. But in the world, especially in the world of America, I mean, racism is is everywhere. It's it's, it's in the water.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I've heard some people argue that, I mean, there's just – there's some natural – race is it just in terms of people are born and they look at someone and that person looks a little different from them. Yeah. So there's always going to be a little not not necessarily confusion but they're not going to have the same comfort factor. Um you know so maybe that that helps but I mean when when you you were talking earlier about 1919 when slavery was uh considered illegal in Texas and it being 100 years not even 100 years ago. So you got to understand I mean people live to a hundred, you know, people live till 70 or 80. So the expectation, I mean, it it has not been that long ago. I mean, we still had massive civil rights problems in this country, you know, in the sixties. Yeah. And so, you know, for people to deny, and look, I've, I've heard people, you know, I've had white people say to me plenty of times, oh, it doesn't exist. And I'll tell you what, the most race of people that I know are actually black people. And that's, you know you'll you'll hear them say that and and you know my stand on a lot of these types of issues that are really sensitive is one we won't talk about them in an even playing field where everything is available to be brought up. And the other piece is people always want to believe that they're 100% correct. It's so like when someone says that to me, well I think I think there's black people who are more racist than white people. Well, that's like saying that sometimes it rains and sometimes it's it it's sunny out, right? Of, of course there's going to be that possibility. But for, for someone to say that racism doesn't exist anymore or it's 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 a made up thing is just outlandish. I mean, I, I have certainly encountered it. But like you said, I didn't ma'am, I didn't experience a whole lot of it in mixed martial arts. Now again, I'm a white guy and and I would say that there still is a, a, a pretty large majority um, or there's a decent majority still that of, of white people in mixed martial arts. I've never yeah. been in a gym where I was the minority. So it's a totally different perspective. But when I was in the military, my first platoon was very mixed, very yeah. mixed. And, I'll, man, that, that was one of the things that, that I loved about the infantry. Man, racism just doesn't exist. Everybody bleeds red on the battlefield. Nobody cares. It's all about how competent you are in your job how dependable you are. Can I depend on you to do your job? And and, and do you have my back and do I have yours? Nobody cared. And it was a wonderful, wonderful environment to be in, in terms of what we're talking about now, in terms of racism and and just coexisting as team people and not caring about the color of your skin.
1: I think it, it comes from having a struggle together, you know, yeah. because, you, like I said, you don't see it a lot in MMA. I'm, you probably didn't see it a lot on the football field um, because you have to struggle together, you know. You you, you guys, MMA is, is an individual sport, but you can't do this without a team. Just like you couldn't, you know, you, you over in the Middle East, you had a team, you know. When you played football, you had a team. And I'm sorry, I want to go back real quick and just correct myself because... The June 19th thing is Juneteenth is June 19th, but it, I think it was, um, it was like in the 1800s, like 1860 or 70 or something like that. But, um, still. Okay. I was,
0: I was, <laughs> I was ready to check my records like, man, damn, yeah. Texas, I never knew.
1: Yeah. The, I forget, I forget when, f- for me anyway, I haven't been out of high school for forever and not really, um, paying attention, not necessarily paying attention. You know, the memorized but... dates
0: they make you remember? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the yeah.
1: dates and whatnot. And. I'm see for me, for me, the whole thing about racism. I've been lucky in the fact that I came from a country. I'm from a country of black people. You know, there's there's like we have like I don't know any somewhere between five and fifteen percent of of whites and other races in the Bahamas. You know what I mean? It's it's a country of black people, so you don't really have that racial component as as much as you see it here. And then I got here went through a couple of years of high school got to got to be an adult and kind of just fell in MMA because I found something that I love and because of the struggle the guys that I was training with my my roommate and best friend was half white and Asian and our other roommate my other best friend was a white guy I like you know my my my, my friends now like it's a rainbow of people you know from Brazilians to Swedish to Australians to everybody else so I haven't really been exposed to, or haven't had to be in an environment where my race really matters that much. But especially after fighting and just looking at the world from from where I'm at, man, there it's it's still so prevalent and it's it's everywhere. It's like I said, it's in the water and it's bad.
0: That bad?
1: It's it's I mean, pretty bad. Yeah, it's, it's
0: a different perspective, you know. I can't pretend to have you know obviously i live in atlanta and so i there's plenty of times where i i will find myself in predominantly black settings um and and i don't think i've 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 felt that way i think you know there there was a time in a barbershop where i think you know i got a couple of looks like what are you doing here um, but it wasn't something where like th- i wasn't wanted there and i think yeah. that's a difference because you know as, as a white guy that's a totally different feeling, right? Walking into a place and, and you feel like nobody wants you to be there. Is that something you've experienced before?
1: I've I've had that experience a few times. Not not necessarily, sometimes it's been all on me. It, it was it was me projecting onto others. And there were times when it was that was the environment of the room. It was a time when yeah. you know, you, you why are you here? You're in the wrong place, you know? Um just just and not as not an example of that, but just an example of 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 When I say it's in the water, I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago, and um, we were talking about another friend that wasn't around. And I was like, "Yeah, he's he's he claims he told me that he's blacker than I am." You know, this is a guy who's got a couple of baby mamas. He's always struggling to make make bills. You know, he 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 was taking fights just for the dollar amount. You know, um, and he's just he was just a real hood dude, but. When I told my friend, I was like, yeah, he claims to be blacker than I am. And he's like, and he's a, he's a white guy, by the way, I'm sorry. He claims to be blacker than I am. And they were like, he might be right there. And, like, he might be right on with that. And it's like, no. See, that's that's the thing. And, and the, the guy that said it, he's not a racist at all. But just the fact, just the statement, just for him to think that um, the guy is blacker than I am because he does more ghetto shit is... is you see what I'm saying? It's it's, yeah. it's just that's just the perception of what black is, and, and that's crazy because I know who I am, and I'm nothing like that. You know, I no, you're not. I, I'm not hood. I'm I, I I come from the hood, and like a guy like Tyron. Tyron came from the hood. Tyron came up in a family where. You know, he's got brothers and sisters, and and his mom's working hard. But Tyron isn't hood. Tyron came from the hood, but Tyron isn't hood. You know, you know Raymond. Raymond isn't hood. You know what no, I
0: mean? No, not at all. Raymond Jordan. We're talking about Raymond Jordan, who's an All-American at Missouri, and one of my closest friends who moved here to Atlanta uh, to help me train, and then got a job in the same building I'm in. In fact, I, was, I just talked to him for about an hour yesterday. Um, you know, but to go back kind of what I was talking about earlier about how a lot of the problems in this country, people sometimes get too caught up thinking they're hundred percent right. And there's usually an area in the middle, right? When you look at our politics, they're so polarized, it's ridiculous. That's why they can never find a compromise. But, you know, you made a point about that's the view that is black, you know, a guy with a bunch of baby mamas and and that's more hood and he's, he's more hood. Do you think at times though that African-Americans have projected that too much though, that that part of that view, um, has been promoted you know, through through maybe even like, you know, if you look at uh, in the 90s, gangster rap was born, you know, and you, you had a guy like Ice Cube who used to be an N.W.A. saying F the police in songs. Now he stars in movies like are we there yet? Um, you know, and, and we know I mean, a lot of that was just to sell records. Right. Some of that was an act. Some of those guys really did come from areas like that. Do you think that's ever promoted the wrong way by African-Americans? Do you I... ever get mad at your own community for doing stuff like that? I think
1: it's on I think it's on us and it's on when I say us of course I mean blacks and I think it's on you guys when I say you guys I mean whites I mean every every ra- let's take a guy like 2 Chains for example the guy I, I don't know if he graduated magna cum laude but but he does have he does have a degree and he's, he's supposedly he's very smart um in, in the learned sense but at the same time you know listen to listen to what he's putting out there the music that that that's getting that's that he's popularizing, you know, all I want for my birthday is a big booty hoe, you know, there's really no substance, there's very, very few guys out there that, that get airtime with substance, you get airtime from being hood, <laughs> you know what I mean, you yeah. get, you, you get seen by being hood, and then that's all these kids see, and so what do they do, they go put on their hood uniform. You know, they go, they wear their, their pants sagging and they wear these, these baggy hood clothes and they want to look like the guys on TV. Um, They want to look like the gangsters that have been portrayed as, you know, as them. And I think it's, it's, it's on everybody. It's, it's, it's on, on the people showing them those images because we're not in control of any of these, these TV studios and these, these, you know, very few of them at least. And then the one guy that is Tyler Perry, he's putting out grandma movies or whatever, but, yeah. but, um, but I, I think I, the, the, sorry, the blame, there's plenty of blame to go around,
0: you know? Certainly. And, and I'm not trying to even say, I, I just, I think that the, the problem of racism, it's not just a black white thing. Yeah. Although that gets mostly attention. And I think for the right reasons, right? I think that's where the strong, some of the strongest racism exists, yeah. um, other than, I will add in one other demographic. You know, from my time in Albuquerque, uh, Native Americans do not have it easy in this country. Oh no! And, and again, again, everybody's got to own their own problems, and there are some, 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 there are some things that 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 different communities, white people included, do to themselves that bring on some of their stereotypes. However, you also have to consider. I always like to say to people who who you know were born in good homes and had good parents and. You know, had got good grades, went to a decent school, now have a good job. I ask him, where would you have ended up, though, if you were born to the same situation as this other person over here? You know, there are demographics and there's groups of people in all races that aren't born, if you want to call it, like, let's use baseball as a metaphor. Some people are born on second base. Some people are born halfway to home, right? Then there's people that weren't even born in the parking lot, you know, where they, they were born to a teenage mom who you know, just happened to get pregnant early, doesn't have a, I mean, so people are born in tougher situations than, than others. And, and the odds of that person making it, and, you know, Ray Jordan is a great example because his story fascinates me. Yeah. Raymond Jordan was, was born, lit, grew up in North Carolina in, in a trailer park. His mother and father were both dead by the age of six. His father was stabbed to death in Newark, New Jersey, even though he lived in North Carolina, he couldn't even go see his father's funeral. Then his mother dies of AIDS. He's raised by his grandmother until I think 12 or 13 years old. She dies, and then he's raised by an uncle who happens to be a drug dealer. So Raymond would come home to his trailer, and he'd see drugs being measured the whole nine. Raymond's oldest brother has AIDS in and out of gangs, will probably die in the next few years. And and, and his sister struggles at times, too. And Ray, when you meet Raymond, Raymond sounds like he graduated from, from – from the best institutions in the country he's a Missouri graduate he is brilliant he is he's got the highest character just one of the more phenomenal human beings I've ever met the odds of that happening from his situation are minuscule yeah minuscule
1: I agree man I I I met Raymond while he was I think he was a sophomore or a junior and um I didn't even know his story until Tyron started telling me some of the things, you know, when Raymond came on the team, um, he kind of, he kind of gravitated towards me, you know, I mean, he's a part of the team and he had a birthday party and, and that was, that was a, that was an environment that I was just like, man, this is awesome. That whole team environment, you know? And I think that definitely helped. Um, It definitely didn't hurt his situation, uh, his advance through, through the ranks of society and to get to the position Ah, uh, the place that he is right now with 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 financially, um, as an individual, within the economic system, um, within within the job market, you know, Raymond and that wrestling that wrestling team definitely had played some part in in the fact that, you know that that of, I'm sorry, in the fact of where he is now because those guys didn't treat him any different, man. Those guys were a family. And that's what, that's what I liked about it. I think he had a birthday. Matt Pell had a birthday. And everybody was together. And it wasn't, it wasn't like Matt Pell is he's this Native American-looking guy. I don't know if he's white or American. I mean, white or, or Native American. There's Raymond. There's Tyron. There's Ben. There's Max. There's all these guys. And it's just, none of that matters. And that's the same thing. I'm sure you saw it at Jackson's. That's the same thing at ATT. Yeah. It's just like for, for us, especially for me anyway, coming from... From the bahamas coming from a population of black people to america but ended up ending up in mma i just really i was blind to to how much race really matters here because i didn't have to be exposed to it for so much of my life but i'm not exposed to it now but just sitting back and looking it's like man this is
0: nuts it's yeah. it's everywhere god i would love you know and i think part of the reason that i don't see it the way you see it is because i live in atlanta and it, Atlanta is home yep. to a lot of African-American professionals who do very well. Um, I, I have, uh, gosh, I mean, I, I would, you know, a quarter of my company is African-American, and uh, they're brilliant. I mean, just I have great employees, and, and, and the whole company is racially very diverse. Um, so I don't, you know, I'm not saying I don't see it as a big problem in America. It certainly is. I mean, when you look at what happened in Ferguson, you look at this SAE chant, it's just constantly coming back up. And I think it's because we won't lay it all out on the table and, and people don't want to look at things and maybe get out of their own skin for a minute or get away from their own influences and put themselves in the other person's position and gain understanding. And it's, it's sad to think that in 2015, you know, that race is still such a big, big issue. And I'm not saying that I think it's, it's a minor issue because I live in Atlanta, but when you say it's in the water, it's everywhere man, that's just so disappointing to hear. You know, it's sad. You you, you really hope that we're, we're past that by now, but obviously it, it is something that, that still needs to be addressed in this country, um, and, and it's sad to see what it's done to us. I mean, especially just, just in the last few years when you look at some of the things that have happened, um, you know, from, from Ferguson to things in Los Angeles to what happened in Oklahoma, it's a shame. But it is also great, though, to point towards our community as as a beacon for, for our listeners to understand that you know you walk into a martial arts gym it doesn't matter if you're white, brown red, blue, it doesn't matter if you're a boy or girl it doesn't matter if if you're you're a lesbian, if you're homosexual yeah. none of that stuff matters we, I mean we, we don't care it's it's all about the journey. yeah it's all about the process of training, finding and figuring out where your gaps and your weaknesses are leveraging not only your coaches but your team to fill in those gaps to figure out, how you can get to this and then you have this massive event where despite all the technique you just trained, now you've got to go into a planned fist fight where you're going to at full speed try to execute those while your buddies tell you what to do in the corner against a, 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 a you know similarly talented opponent. And that's what makes that, that mixed martial pro- arts process so addicted to us. None of us come into this say, hey, I, mean, I want to go in MMA because I'm going to be in a millionaire. Because obviously, if me and Eves Edwards were millionaires, we wouldn't be doing a podcast right now. Um, not that we're going to make a dime off this anyway. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I didn't get in to make money. And, and obviously, fighter pay has certainly gone up. And I think it's going to continue to go up. It needs to continue to go up. Yep. But that journey is there's something you know. Chael Sonnen, I think, said it really well one time in an interview. He said it's seductive, and it is. I mean, it 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 can get you. For me, it was my sanctuary from after combat. You know, I got addicted. It was seductive to me to go to the gym every day, and and use the workouts and the sport and the way I felt and the people around me to help get me through the battles going on in my head. And uh, and and I love seeing mixed martial arts be that for people. And, and that is one of the reasons why, you know, when you go through that process, that racism, just, you just don't care the color of somebody's skin, you appreciate the diversity of their background. After these workouts, you sit there and talk about the different ways you grew up and where you came from. Um, you know, how, how this guy came up, how that guy came up, what happened here and just sharing stories and that camaraderie, it's just like it was in the barracks in the Marine Corps. Same thing.
1: Yeah. I think, I think for MMA, man, um, it's given me another family, you know. Uh, guys like Mike Brown and Dustin and Tyron and Dean and Robbie and, and you know, even the guys out in California, um, Antonio McKee and Emmanuel Newton and those guys. It's it's it definitely becomes a part of you, and and it 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 kind of puts everything else on the shelf. All the all the little details, a little hangups that people have, those kind of go away, you know. Um, Jessica Aguilar is a homosexual girl that trains with us, she's tough as hell, and she's just a part of the team, you know, she's just a she's just girl on the team um, Me and Tyron, it doesn't matter, they were black guys on the team, you know, Robbie's half or portion of him is Filipino, you know, it's, it, just, it doesn't matter, Mike Brown is all white I used to think Dustin was black I know, I. But it didn't even matter to me until I found out he's just Cajun, and he's just he's just got <laughs> he's just a nice hand. <laughs> he's just Cajun, you know. But uh. it's it's um yeah, man. MMA for me, anyway. It's it's given me another family. It's it's given me a passion that that's stuck with me since I was 17, and I think I'm gonna. Die. I I like I used to like I said, man. I used to wanna I used to wanna die fighting. But now I just want, I want to see these kids come up and, and I I think MMA is a part of the thing that's going to change the world. You know, it may not be a big change, but it's, it's definitely changed some of it for me. And, and I like, and that's the thing, man, you, you are from a completely different environment. It's funny because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, it's a white guy living in a black city and a black guy living in a white city. (laughs) But we've. Um, that's the thing. I mean, without MMA, I don't know if, if we would we would be where we are right now with, yeah. with each other.
0: You know, certainly. And um, it's it's a great that's a great point to bring up.
1: Yeah, and I I'm, I don't know. That's this is this you know this is the beginning. It's not. It's this is you know. I
0: guess we're coming in
1: on the end of this one, but this is the beginning for us. And and I'm looking forward to
0: this ride, man. I am too. You know, it's it's you know we definitely need some help from uh, from our friends on Twitter to name this podcast um, but as anybody could tell who's listen to this episode we're gonna try and tackle some some very sensitive and big issues you know I don't know anywhere else you're gonna listen to two fighters talk about uh, you know homosexual <laughs> lesbian gay transgender rights uh, racism I mean we we went from this upcoming card in Fairfax to all the national issues right now we didn't even touch it international yet but you know we'll, we'll get to that in the second show this week but you know, we're going to have some fun doing it. And, and the only rules that me and Eve really set for one another is that we were going to be understanding of each other's p- opinions. And we weren't, we weren't going to be too prideful and, and afraid to admit when we were wrong or change our mind. And I think that that is something that is a massive problem in America today where people are so proud that even when they're proven wrong, They won't admit it. They'll almost lie to themselves because they're afraid to say, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And actually change their mind. It's such a, it's become such a difficult thing to do for us. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see what we're going to name this thing. And we, we hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, Eves, I've enjoyed it. You know, these are conversations we've been having for weeks, man, and tackling some heavy, heavy subjects Yeah. two guys that used to get punched in the face for a living.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I think it's going to be fun, man. And, um, I'm not too worried about the about the you know not being able to admit when I'm wrong, because I've never. We're both been wrong married. Yet. we're
0: both married, and we always. Oh, you've never been wrong. I've, yet. I've never <laughs> been
1: wrong yet. I thought I was once, but I wasn't.
0: So. Oh, see, good for you, man. See, I'm married, and I've got three daughters, so I'm wrong all the time anymore.
1: No, I'm always wrong. It's, my wife is in bed right now, so I'm lucky. Yeah. I'd be wrong uh, right now, but. Um, you know, this is going to be fun, and it's not always just going to be Brian and I. You know, sometimes Brian had Brian had a great idea, and, you know, he may be our first guest. I, I won't put any, any names out there just yet because I want to bring him in as a surprise if, if it happens, but he's in an environment that we want to talk about, and, and we want to get, get an opinion on somebody somebody on, you know, ground zero. So um, those kinds of things are the kind of things we're going to talk about, and sometimes there's going to be a third, maybe even a fourth person joining us, but... Yeah, we're going to talk MMA, we're going to talk about the world, we're going to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Get at us on Twitter, please give us a name, because the Thug Jitsu Master versus Brian Stan is not, is really, (laughs) (laughs) the Thug Jitsu Nation versus the Stan Fan Nation is is really not how we want to do it. it's not doing it. It's
0: not concise enough, for sure.
1: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Thug Jitsu Master, and you can find Brian,
0: at we're Brian Stan. And it's right? a perfect man Way to close out the show. You know, you just did your audition. You're already closing out the show. You're ready for mainstream, man.
1: I'm trying. I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and take your job and Kenny's job and DC's job. No, I can't do all of that.
0: <laughs> oh, it's coming. It's coming. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We will definitely we're going to be trying to put out at least two of these a week. So look for the next one coming later this week. Thanks, guys. You guys take it easy.